If you're an average player, you want to be left alone, right? Because you want to be able to slide by. If you're a good player, you want to be coached. If you're a great player, you want the coach to tell you the truth every day. Did I hustle on that play? Did I make the right read? Did I play the guy with the right leverage? You want to know every play. Because you know why? They want to be perfect. Everybody here makes a choice to do one of those three things. Welcome to the Goat Consulting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to people striving to be a goat, the greatest of all time, serving it up in a way that you can get it in all stages of life. Hey, I'm Colby Jubinville, and welcome to another episode of the Goat Consulting Podcast right here in studio in BC Productions in Nashville, Tennessee. we got a great second part to our show today. It is with Jim Cripps. Yes. Jim has done so many things. He's a business and sales coach. He's a speaker, VP, COO, team builder, biohacker. We haven't even dug into the biohacker. World record holder. Specifically, Guinness. Book of World Record, and we just holder. found out uh, prior to the show that John is as well. Hopefully, we'll be able to tell that story Talk today. Me. He has Talk been on after class. shows like the Go Consulting Podcast, Good Morning America, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and a Japanese TV show called Unbelievable. I want to I want to go and be on that show. Yeah, I think my story, my life would just be a great story for Unbelievable. Thank you to Russell Stroud and RWS. <laughs> services plumbing they do a great job for us we appreciate you funding the show we are the ghost consulting podcast we serve it up in a way that you can get it we're like waffle house mm. and we're so glad that jim is with us today john um, you always find the great guests and uh excited for jim to be here today we had a great conversation conversation and um part one of this show uh, the show yes and now we're into part two and uh we're gonna pick it right up where we left off yeah. in part one and i gotta tell you Jim, when we connected back in probably November, mm -hmm. December, or maybe early December, somewhere around there, I remember asking you this question because as our good friend and also GOAT GCP alumni, uh, Randy Huth, that made the connection for us, um, I remember thinking, how do we have – I mean, obviously you belong on the show. There's nobody on the planet in the history of the universe that has ever done what you've done. You belong here. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I struggle. This is what I shared with you early on, and your answer was so beautiful that I have looked forward to talking about it in this moment ever since. Maybe maybe in one of the top five moments that we've had in our 100 episodes. Wow. Because it's so meaningful for me. And that question that I said to you, some version of, I don't really believe in perfection. You know, in the intro of this show, you've got Saban, Saban talking about we want to be perfect. And I think anytime that creeps into my mind, I, as I've said in the past, like wherever perfection is, shame is typically riding shotgun. And maybe it's something in certain areas of, of our life that we strive towards. But the problem is with you, Jim, and what you've done, unlike life and most everything else, you can actually be perfect in bowling. And that's what you've done. Right. So how do we even talk about it? There's like this conflict happening within me when I first thought about you and this conversation and, and your response to me, that like, like you knew I was going to ask it, was everything about that day was imperfectly perfect or perfectly perfect. imperfect. One of those versions you said. So please walk us through that day and what that means that you all these imperfections added up to something that has never been done before 
and you did it. Right. Congratulations on that, by the way. Well, thank it's you. incredible. I appreciate it. Well, before I do that, I'm, I'm going to tell you just one thing that I think will help you with the idea of, of perfection. Because when we think of perfection, we think of perfection on this long scale. And it's, it's all these things that we do to get to perfect moments mm. that we would not change for anything in the world. And that's really how that was that day for me. So it started off rough. I had, I had a, a new bowler on my team for this year, and he had just moved to Clarksville. And he called me one day. He said, Jim, I'm thinking about bowling in the city tournament. I'm sure you probably already got a, got a teammate, or you know, would you bowl with me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, actually, I haven't bowled in that tournament in over a decade. And that was a really critical tournament for me early on because there was a bowling center in Clarksville that kicked me out, and I was not allowed to bowl there. And back in 2002, 2003, somewhere around in there, the city tournament was being held at, they they usually hold it in two centers, so that team events in one and singles and doubles in the other. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to bowl that tournament. And Doug Hayes, who's a legend in in Clarksville and really just in bowling, period, called me one day and said, hey, you know, I want you to bowl with me. I said, Doug, I'm not bowling in the tournament. They, they won't let me bowl in that center. He goes, Jim, you're going to bowl because you're going to be my doubles partner. Mm. And Doug held high average in, in the city and I think in the state for a long time. And for him to do that, I said, Doug, I'm not trying to be that guy. You know, they don't want me there. I won't be there. He goes, Jim, it's, it's about more than that. We're going to stand behind you, and you're going to bowl. And they did. They absolutely, the, the proprietor was angry about it. And It's like a ma- – I mean, this is a lot of drama. It was a lot of drama. a movie. It's wild. And, you know, him and, and the association backed me up, and they said, we're going to move the tournament if you don't let him bowl. And we bowled. Well, fast forward, I hadn't bowled in it in probably 10 years just for the sheer fact that I had been so focused on work that – that bowling had kind of taken a, a back step. And so I agreed to bowl with him. Well, earlier that week, well, about a week before, I'd gotten a splinter in my thumb and tried to get it out, tried to get it out, couldn't get it out. And that morning I woke up, and it was swollen and angry and red. There was no way it would go into a bowling ball. And my wife asked me, she goes, well, you're going to call and let him know you can't bowl. I said, honey, I'd, I'm not the guy that bails on somebody. And she goes, no, I know you're not. She goes, but there's no way you can bowl like that. So I told her, I said, I'm going to figure this out. So I go in there, I get an 18-gauge needle, which is a pretty big boy needle to be shoved in your thumb. You went in where to get an 18-gauge needle? Well, like to I, the bathroom? To or the bathroom. You, I'm, I'm a Of buyer. course, because we all have. We all have that in our in the drawer with our hair dryer, right? It's, like <laughs> It's the biohacker portion. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He went, I went, his, I went he in there. Went into went his in serial killer closet. <laughs> went in there and got my. Did you call it? A, what did you call it? It's eighteen gauge. Eighteen gauge needle. Yeah. Class. And you went in where? Just the drawer, you know. All right. Okay. This is the, the plot oh, thickens. So I go in there and I basically do surgery. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you did. Yeah. And and so I'm I'm drawing fluid. I mean, it's disgusting, but I'm drawing fluid ah. off my thumb. It's getting smaller. Still couldn't get into a bowling ball. And I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to have to cut it open and get this splinter out of there. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. So cut it open, get it out of there, ice it, 
sticking a bowling ball for a little while because, you know, you press it down into something and, you you know, it kind of forces the blood and all things back out of there. Now, now we are T-minus how many hours till you're, you're Hour bowling the first ball? Okay, 90 minutes. 90 minutes. 90 minutes out. Probably, probably Probably two hours when I started from when I started surgery on it to you know Jeez. time to go, and so I'm 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 there and I'm angry I'm frustrated like anybody would be you know, and this was a different day because my my wife had something going on that morning so my son was going to go with me to the tournament, and he hardly ever gets to go bowling with me just because you know league is past bedtime for a nine year old and you know all those mm. things, and prior to this point he had never shown any interest in bowling so he's begrudgingly going to go to the bowling center with me. And I, I just looked at myself in the mirror. I don't even know how, why I caught my, myself other than, you know, just you're in the bathroom in the mirror. And I noticed how pissed I looked. You know, I, I did not look ready to go do anything other than just be mad. And I'm a big fan of self-talk. It's, it's real. Mm. Perception is reality. And what a lot of people don't talk about is the fact that your perception of you is your reality. Sure. And so I had to get my mind right. So I gave myself a pep talk and, you know, went and took my vitamins, you know, all, all the things I would normally do on a day that I was going to go win. And I looked in the mirror right before I left and I said, it'd be a pretty good day for a 300. And I've never said that before in my entire life. Like why that came to be, I have no idea. And I, when I said it, I actually laughed at myself in the mirror and then, and then walked out. So Son gets in the car. We we go to Clarksville, and Brenda Green, who is she runs youth bowling in Clarksville, and she's been around for forever, mm-hmm. and she's only like twenty nine. She she's not old enough to be forever. But anyway, she goes. She saw me bringing Castle, and she goes, "Oh, you brought your coach today." Mm-hmm. And so you know they had a little dialogue because, like I say, she's great with the youth bowlers, and so they chatted a little bit. And I said, "I said, yeah, I told him it'd be a great day for three hundred. And she goes this place would be on fire. She goes, they would love it. And I was like, and I just kind of laughed and we went on about our business. And so I'm still kind of, you know, figuring out how's this going to work, whatever. Yeah. And so the guys bowling on the pair with us, with me and my doubles partner, is a guy from Ohio and his son that just happened to move to Clarksville. And I always try to warn people. I said, you know, hey, this is, I don't, I don't bowl like everybody else. And, of course, they were all like, hey, no, we've seen it all. <laughs> Don't worry. Neither do we. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you throw that first ball, and now they realize what they're, what they're in for. Right. And fast forward, so I, I record second games, typically. And the reason for that is I know that I do better under pressure. So the more people watching, the more on the line, the better I do. And what I've found is when I record, it elevates my heart rate. So sometimes I'll even wear a heart monitor while I'm bowling to see what, you know, where the spikes are, what did I do? What was the situation? And so the reason I say second game is first game, you could be trying to figure things out. Second game, if you're going to figure them out, you've pretty well dialed in. And then I elevate my heart rate. So I'm recording them. We're just going through strike, 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 strike. And then on the eighth frame, I'm up there and I'm feeling pretty good. What they call the 50, 50, which is, it's a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. You know, half the money goes to whoever gets the ticket pulled, and half the money goes to the youth group. And they started calling the number, and I knew it was close to mine. And I literally was just like, please don't call mine. Please don't call mine. And my doubles partner overheard me saying that, 
And he goes, why? And I said, if I'm going to get luck today, I want it on the lanes. Mm. I don't want the money. Mm. And sure enough, it was the person that bought behind me oh, wow. that won. But it was that, it was that, it was a little bit of a boost because now I'm up on the lane and I, and he goes, I won. And great. Eighth frame strike. Well, now I'm in the ninth and I'm thinking to myself, my son's not, so he would been playing with a buddy of his. Now at this point, <clears throat> you were already in the Guinness book prior to this moment. Right. For 278. Mm -hmm. Had you, but you had not, pa you can't pass that until the, the 10th frame. Uh, yes, well, there's there's a couple factors that because you know it depend, depends on where you miss the pin, right? Okay. If you miss the pin in the right place or the wrong place, one pin can cost you twenty twenty one pins. So, what, do you remember what your score was after that eighth frame when this moment happened? You don't really have a score yet because it's not calculated it's not until you throw your, your okay. last ball. Got it. And are you running numbers in your head? Well, you just know your own. Your your you got. You got the front eight, or you got the front nine. That's kind of just how people talk about gotcha. it. You, know? you and, got four strikes to go in this moment when they call the fifty-fifty. Yeah, well, okay. I had that was before the eighth one, so, so three uh, through the eighth. Yeah, four. Th yeah, now I got so, four. Yeah, four left to hit. Yeah, four left to hit, and so uh, even more of the perfectly imperfect. I was thinking about how am I going to get my son over here without you know causing a ruckus or without you know disturbing or without running down there and grabbing him. And he just happened to walk up and he mm. goes, "Dad, I want to go to the arcade." Oh God! And I said, "Seriously, buddy, you can absolutely go to the arcade after I throw four more strikes." And he goes, "Okay," and he sits down. Of course, he has no idea what's going right. on here. And does I he? He doesn't. No, no, really? yeah, no. Okay. And I didn't know it, but from the article, <laughs> the buzz had already started in the bowling center because I was just that dialed in from what people were seeing, and I knew people. A few people were recording. And so I hit the ninth one. I hit the tenth one. Mm. And two away. Well, the interesting thing about the tenth one is I was so arrogant on the tenth one. I don't know that I've ever done anything that arrogant in my life. Mm. And so bowlers wait, wait, like what makes you say that? So typically a bowler won't go up on what could be a game like that, and most of them won't do it anyway. But they won't go up and bowl if there's a split on either lane beside them just out of superstition. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I don't really stick to that because I don't see them anyway. It's just a mental game. And these days my mental game is way stronger than it was. I was a better bowler in 2009 than I am today, but my mental game is 10x what it was back then. And so I walk up and I see this 4-7-10, which is two on the left, one on the right, split. And most people wouldn't throw. And I literally said out loud, nothing's stopping me today. And I walk up just as arrogant as you could possibly be, throw the 10th one, strike. I come back, and my son wants to give me a fist bump, so I give him a fist bump. I go back up, hit number 11. No no stress there. And then my son wants to give me a fist bump. I come back, and I give him a fist bump. That one's actually on video. It's on the video. It's on the video. Yeah. And I love that. I, uh, so uh, big shout-out to Travis because he got that on video, and it's one of my favorite mm. moments on this planet. And – but right then I had a mental break and it wasn't because of my son. It was because when I turned around, I had this thought for just a second, no matter what happens, this is going to be a great game. And I think a lot of people let themselves off the hook that way. Mm. And I'm so glad they didn't get this on camera because I cussed myself. I was angry. I was furious with myself. Cause I was like, it's too hard to get to right here. 
Why would you stop? Why would you not show everybody that this perfect moment is possible? Make them believe, make your son believe, and make you believe that you can do this. Mm. And so I got my mind right, and that ball was probably the most perfect ball I threw. I mean, everybody in there knew what was about to happen. Mm. Hit it, and it erupted. I mean, they – yeah. Just the amount of support. You can hear it on the video. And I actually kept my composure way better than I thought I would. I always thought if I shot 300, I would just lose it. And, you know, an interesting thing about that day is, you know, typically in bowling it's a fist bump or a high five. And I don't think I got a fist bump or a high five. I think every single one of them was a hug. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, guys that, you know, probably haven't hugged anybody and. You know, two years, and they nobody even went for a high five. I mean, they just straight brought it in for a hug, and it's these people have just been with me for so long. It was crazy. Meaning. Wow. Meaning. Yeah. The steps gave him meaning. So cool. Do you remember what you said before you started this <clears throat> story mm-hmm. around, in, I think you, you said perfect moments. Mm-hmm. What it, Can you remember what you said? Well, I think I think people think that perfection is this long term thing, and and you can strive for it, but there, you're not going to be perfect forever. You're not going to be perfect for you know this huge amount of time, but you can strive to be good enough to be so well practiced and to do everything right. And but then you have to have a little bit of luck that helps line things up for these perfect moments that, and they may not be be, be perfect in somebody else's point of view, but. They're so perfect that you wouldn't change not one moment of them. And I think we, we only get a few of those in life. And we got we to hold on to them because you're going to get inspiration for future things because of these per- perfect moments. Well, it's interesting. I kept thinking about that and like the conflict going on within me after you said that throughout the entire story was like you couldn't have manufactured that day. Right. It was an accumulation, and the outcome was perfect, but it was an accumulation of imperfect moments that led to that. Right. And there was something about that I kept trying to remember as you were telling the story, what you said earlier about perfect moments. That's not what this day was. (laughs) You might have had a perfect moment and you certainly had a perfect score mm-hmm. but it was a it was a day of imperfection it, it could have been a train wreck i mean and it, the magic was in the imperfection right that's what that's what that day was yeah that's what the outcome was for me as i hear the story and, and the 18 so gauge cool. needle right <laughs> 18 gauge needle i still don't like 18 gauge needles so a couple things this is you said you said this earlier i don't know if this was in the first part of the conversation or or in between but you talked about layers of a bowling ball mm-hmm. not an onion that's right, right. Yep. uh so many things that you talked about that um you said i i know i perform better under pressure so mm-hmm. i heard you talk about how you set yourself up to be under pressure mm-hmm. because you knew yourself so well and you knew how you performed at your best. There's some meaning, there's some leadership, you know, lessons in all of that. Well, is that true? Like, tell me about how important it is that you knew yourself that day and how that came to fruition. Well, I think that's one of the things that we get over time. And I think that that either helps our mental game or it hurts our mental game, but you getting to know yourself so that you can put yourself in situations. Your heart rate, the crowd, 
right. the buzz, yeah. you know, all of those things that you talked about. Well, I remember the day that I figured out that I liked the crowd because, you know, Randy, and mm. another big shout out to Randy, Randy used to help me. And what I mean by that is when he ran the center, because I was trying to learn, I didn't know how to bowl, much less bowl backwards. And so there was nobody, there was no videos back then. There was nobody to teach. There was nothing. And so I would come in and Randy would call right as they were about to cut off lanes where you couldn't get a lane anymore. And the bar was open later, like most centers. And he would call and I'd come, I was only a few minutes from the bowling center. I'd come down and I would bowl on the other end. Nobody was around. You know, a lot of times I was the only one bowling. And then in the city tournament, 2002, no, 2003, I bowled the best game I'd ever bowled. And everybody that, could be packed in behind these lanes where they're watching me because it was the, turn, the tournament was in Memphis. Nobody had ever seen me. I didn't been on TV. There were no videos. There was no nothing. And now there's this crazy guy bowling backwards, and he's he's, he's shooting over 200. Mm-hmm. I had a 222 game, and in that moment, because my my doubles partner at that time, which was the guy that I made the bet with, Justin Barnes, he said, "Jim, there's there's a lot of people watching." And I looked back, and it didn't freak me out. And I had the best game I'd ever bowled at, to that point. Yeah. And I, th- I think the takeaway for the audience is what you know. Many of many of us, I think I would put myself in the boat that mm-hmm. I perform better under pressure. Fill in the blank, whatever it is: sports, yeah. business, relationships. But not everybody does. Not everybody. Like does. my wife is terrified at the idea of running like a an organized 5k in fact when we if if i'm ever around or we go run together like i can't say anything to her not even like hey good job like i get in trouble she's like that's not why i'm running to hear you tell me what if i'm good bad whatever like the pressure is too much she knows herself so well though that how she's going to perform at her best. And it's not with the pressure. And it started, it's has started in recent years, like for me, helping me realize we're all different, right? Like, and maybe we'll get more into this, you know, in a bit, but I want to, I don't want to leave this other thing that I thought, one thing that you said, I may get you to clarify it, but did you say I was a better bowler in 2010 but my mental game today is is so much better. Some yeah. version of that. Did yeah. you? S- Absolutely. And so, you know, kind of my progression in in bowling and kind of how all that came to be. So after so 2005, I bowled my first. Well, I talked earlier about failing early, and so in 2003, that 222 game in the the tournament, I won a side pot. And for that side pot, you went to Vegas to bowl against the other fifty or the other forty nine state winners for a Cadillac, and I had decided I was winning that Cadillac. And it came down to the very last ball. I was the last person to to bowl, and I knew that I needed a five, six, or seven to win. They gave you an exact number, and you had to bowl that number with no gutter balls, and without going wow. over. You had to hit that number. You had to hit that number. The score. Yep, and you could be under. But then it was whoever was closest, hmm. and, ah. but you couldn't go over. And I knew exactly what I needed to do. In the previous game, in order to get to this point where I'm now tied, I had to pick one pin off and then go back through the same hole. And that's almost impossible. Wow. Jeez. And we're talking about I'd been bowling two Just years. Price is right. Bowling. And were you bowling right. backwards for this tournament? Bowling okay. backwards. In fact, the, the picture from that tournament is the mm-hmm. oldest picture that I can find of me bowling. And mm-hmm. it was in Vegas. So 
I go back through the same hole. Now it's down to me and two other people. And all I got to do to win this Cadillac is throw a five, six, or seven. And I choked because I didn't play to win. I played not to lose. Mm. So I picked up, instead of throwing the ball I should have thrown, I picked up my spare ball and I just said, if I come in light and it wasn't a winning mission at that point, at that point, I let myself off the hook and I choked. I was disqualified, didn't win. Mm. I didn't get over that. I don't think until the 300 game. That stuck with me. I was a better bowler in that moment right there. But from that moment to now, my mental game is... It's a mind shift, mindset. Yeah, 100%. So, and, and, and I think I posted something recently on LinkedIn that you liked. And, and again, just as another practical takeaway before we move yeah. uh, here, the, the conversation is simple mindset shifts. So I think the quote I po- posted was, negative things happen, negative mindsets make them harder. So, for example, any story that you've told today, essentially, right? Or, like, I'm not hurt, I'm healing. I was not rejected, I was redirected. One of the things I talked about a while back on the show is, like, I used to say in doing triathlons, like, I'm not a swimmer. Until one point, I'm like, well, no, I'm, I am a swimmer. It may not be a good one, but I'm becoming mm-hmm. something that I wasn't yesterday. Absolutely. Right. So it's a difference. It's how we speak. The language matters. Right. And that's what I've heard throughout your story since you were in the moment. Right. In the bathroom, like before you left. So that's a that's a big takeaway for me. So, okay, Jim, one of the the other layers of um, the bowling ball that we want to unpack here, peel off is the things we think and do not say. A very special segment we have with guests where we talk about you know, really this this moment from Jerry Maguire at the beginning where he has his mission statement. It's not a it's not a memo moment. Watched that recently with the kid. It was very Love special. It. Such a very great, special. Great the clip. things we think and do not say. The future of our business. The future yeah. of our business. Jim, what would you put into that box for you? Well, I, I have a lot of them, but I think this one hits home for a lot of business leaders. And the title of what what I will I'm working on is a book, potentially a short book, but just kind of a manual for people, is the business leader's guide to hiring hitchhikers. Mm. And that you don't usually, say that. We don't. We don't do. We don't do that. <laughs> you don't even pick them up, much less hire them. Right. Well, and and that's where the, some of the controversy lies. In that, you know, if you talk to business leaders, a lot of times they're they have all these challenges, and most of them come back to staffing. Or, you know, who they have on their team. And they'll say things like, you know, I, I, you know, they'll get ready to hire somebody. I really like this guy. Or I really like this girl. You know, we hit it off. Or fill in the blank with all these things. Yeah. And. Anna Papali, are you listening? Yes. <laughs> right? I think you just like saying her last name. I do. Right? <laughs> Francisco. <laughs> but, you know, business leaders of all tenures make these same mistakes. Mm-hmm. And. The reality is when you're hiring for your team, you, you really need to take a step back and say, what is the piece that I'm looking for? Think of it like Legos. Mm. And you know what the piece looks like. It, it fits in this hole or it, fit, it, you know, it helps you build this. And most often it's not you. It's somebody that does this better than you. You know, when you're hiring, you should hire to your weaknesses. Yeah. And then sometimes you're hiring to replace yourself. Sure. And in that mm-hmm. case, you're, you're looking for somebody like you in a lot of ways. But, you know, we just hire the wrong people. And a good example of that is, you know, I had these 
two wonderful leaders in one of my regions, and they interviewed this girl and or young woman, and they said she's perfect. Great, and and these two leaders, they, I mean, they know their their deal. They've been in the business a long time, and I sit down with this young lady, and one of the things that I I start off with, and I, I've just so everybody knows, I've made every mistake you can possibly make in hiring and interviewing. And in that time, I've learned what not to do, what to do, et cetera. And I'll still make mistakes. But I always ask, tell me about your dream job. And don't tell me you want my role in five years or whatever that is. I don't want fluff. I want if money, if you'd get paid as much money as you possibly want doing exactly what you want to do, what would that be? And the reason I ask that question is it tells me where they want to go. Now, that may change over time, but right now, that's where they want to go. And if you look at a map, let's just say we're looking at a map of the United States with the interstate systems, and I've got a car. I'm in California. I want to get out of there as fast as possible. Yes. And I see this hitchhiker on the side of the road. If I stop and I talk to that hitchhiker for just a moment, not that I pick up a bunch of hitchhikers, but for this this, uh, analogy, and... I got to have a question. I got to have find out where they're going, mm-hmm. right? And they got to find out where I'm going, because if they're trying to get to Alaska and I'm trying to come to Tennessee, it might be cold outside, and they may decide to get in my car just because they're cold, right? But the further we go towards Tennessee, the more aggravated they get. So higher, like you'd pick up a hitchhiker. Ask ask the question so you understand where you're going and where they want to go, and if it's the right what right fit to go together. Yeah. So you. Tell me about your dream job. If money, if you were going to get paid as much money as you possibly wanted to do what you love, where 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 is that? Yeah. And so this young lady that I interviewed, um, she wanted to start a nonprofit. And as we talked, she had disdain. She wasn't being rude about it, but she did not like capitalism. She thought that it was a business owner's job to give the money back because they didn't deserve it. And we're talking about a commission sales role. She is not going to be happy here. She is going to be aggravated every minute that she comes into the role. She's not going to be happy with leadership because it's not in the direction she wants to go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that she's bad or good. It just means she's in the wrong vehicle. And a lot of times people hire people that they like, and they're not headed in the same direction. And so they get frustrated and then explodes, and they get frustrated and it explodes. That's how they get 9 million reviews on Glassdoor and great, all, all yeah. these things. That's a great analogy. So, you know, look at it from a, a mutual benefit standpoint. It could be that it's just money. You know, for Pat, it was money because he was saving money to get to this next step. But for some, it's the skills that they need. It's the experience. And it's the leader's job to take the information given about where they're trying to go and to decide if this makes sense. And sometimes it means that you sit down again and you go, look, the way I see it is you're trying to get to here. Start it off by asking them what they're looking for from you as an employer and as a leader. They'll give you some of those nuggets, and then it's up to you to pop in the mm-hmm. pieces that you see and really kind of lay that out. And, and then understand that there's this point where they're supposed to split off and don't get upset about it. Not everybody's a lifer with you. I mean, you can probably count on your, well, I mean, I've been in, in business 25 plus years and I do have some ride or dies, but I've got more of pe- more people that if I called them tomorrow and said, I have an opportunity, 
and I asked them what their role was, what they were doing, and found out whether it lined up with where they're trying to go next, they joined me in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And some of my best reviews on LinkedIn are from people that I had to let go. But when you let somebody go, you also have to look at that as that's an opportunity for them to grow. And some people will and some people won't. Yeah. Jim, so good to have you. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me. Oh guys. my gosh. You're a you're the first Guinness World Record holder we've ever had. Well, except that stint that I had. Yes. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, one last question as we as we fade out here. Um, is is there a rule that says that you can't bowl backwards? Is there is was there a, someone that tried to say we should have this rule? I mean, has there been pushback on that? Well, to to give you an idea of how just amazing the people in bowling are, is you know, back when I was doing the trick shot shows, they could not pay me what contractually they had to pay the PBA bowlers. And it was because it's spelled out specifically what they got paid, and they could not pay me that. Huh. Per the contract, it would violate their contract. Interesting. And so what they did for me is was completely unexpected. I think it was 2007 or 2008. They put me in as one of the pages in the rule book. And so when you got to the page about legal delivery, there was my picture. Ah. Huh. And I could not, I wouldn't, it's, it's kind of like being on the cover of, of the Rolling Bowler's Stones. Journal. You know, I would, I would never even ask for that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not something you would even. Yeah. And so. With like your face with a, a line through it. Right. Like that. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm in every rule book with that, I think. Right. Well, what a treat to Thanks have so you much. here today. And, and uh, a disruptor, I guess you would say, in the, in the bowling industry, we uh, wish you continued success. We certainly appreciate uh, the great work that you do, yeah. both uh, on the lanes and in the business world, and uh, want to continue to see you have great success. So thank Absolutely. you. For Thanks. Jim Cripps and John Byers, I'm Colby Jubinville, and this is the Go Consulting Podcast. Uh-huh.